Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. But Steve Pierce did the thing he does every single year. He hurt himself. How badly <laughs> did he hurt himself? <laughs> Let's see if he gives him a fastball now. Let's it fly. Bosnick swings and lines one right at the second baseman. Yeah, absolutely. Jason picks it up and throws to first, and there's out number two. Three hits and four now. Only got a second one. He's the first backup catcher. He gets two hits. And welcome to episode number 57 of Artificial Turf Wars where the dial is stuck between complain and celebrate. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as usual, by Joshua Housem. Josh, a fine evening to you, sir. And to you. Why, thank you. Uh, we have a lot to talk about in a week where the Blue Jays did some things right. More things right than they did wrong, arguably. Uh, we have the return of Aaron Sanchez. We have three hitters who you might not expect to be on fire on fire. Uh, we have... The possible return of uh, Josh Tomlinson and the almost definite return of Troy Tulowitzki coming up on the horizon. Uh, in exchange, the often injured Mr. Steve Pierce is probably injured again. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we might just touch on the fact that the Blue Jays may need to remember how to play defense. That will be followed by an interview with Jesse Goldberg Strasser, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. We have your questions. We have a do-over for an unfortunate anonymous person. Yes, this will make sense when we get there. And uh, anything else we can squeeze into your hour or so of podcast? That sounds challenging, to be honest. Yeah, we'll do what we can. We'll give her. We'll give her. Uh, so, five and two week. That's... the. Is this the first above 500 week we've been able to talk about the way we've recorded the podcast? I'm pretty sure it has. Yeah. <laughs> I think the best we had before this was three and three. Yeah, it was three and two when we started the podcast. And by the time we finished, it was three and three. Yeah, that was last week. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, we were recording this right after the two losses in the five and two. But it's really more than you could have asked for. It helped that Seattle came in and they were actually more injured than the Blue Jays. Yeah, I heard uh, Seattle has, well, they hadn't put Cano on the disabled list, but once they did, they have $77 million in salary on the disabled list, which isn't as much as the Blue Jays, $91 million, but still a lot on the disabled list. Yeah, and so the, the, the four starters that they pitched in that game, in that series, were all replacement starters, and then one of the replacement starters got hurt. Weber? Weber? Yeah. Yeah. You feel sort of bad for them, but then again, uh, the Blue Jays haven't won very many series and haven't swept a series all year. And well, sorry about your luck, Seattle. Got to do yeah. something. No, but I mean, it was a good, good, good showing. I mean, the whole offense really has been a lot better over these last seven games. Even the two losses to Atlanta, the offense showed up. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because yeah. in May, 
uh, that was the whole sorry in, in April the April, offense was yeah. the whole problem and and the the pitching was pretty consistently fantastic and these last two games against Atlanta the pitching has been anything but fantastic yep and what's really funny too is that well I mean one of the the, the pitchers was a replacement but the offense is full of these guys that probably would not be expected to be playing and they're doing pretty well. I mean, you know, Darwin Barney and and Ezekiel Correa have cooled off a little bit, but yeah, it's hard to complain with the production. These guys apparently even are calling themselves the replacements around the clubhouse. Yeah. And I was saying, which one's Keanu Reeves? I'm sure there are people, uh, ladies who follow me on Twitter, who would give you a very... They give you like three different guys who might fill the Keanu Reeves role. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, never changed, ladies. Um, so, uh, I, I get a lot of, of who is the most attractive Blue Jay discussion. That's just the way I roll, I guess. I I don't have a strong opinion that way, but uh, there are strong opinions out there, believe me. Uh, speaking of uh, attractive Blue Jays, I think Justin Smoke is considered one of the attractive Blue Jays, but I could be wrong. Correct me on Twitter. It happens all the time. Uh, his bat is more attractive than it ever has ever been. Yeah, uh, so I actually just wrote a piece on this because I'd like to talk about my work on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, so Smoke has been awesome. I mean, there's just no argument against it. His overall line on the season is now 281 with a 345 on base and a 531 slugging. And I, just, I want to know, like, what the heck is going on? Here's a fun one for you. If I told you, that on, what is the date, May 15th? Yeah, May 16th. That Justin Smoke would rank second in the major leagues in contact rate on pitches in the strike zone. What kind of drugs would you think I was on? Uh, they rhymed out one on the radio. I was only listening to a couple innings today. But Justin Smoke has how many strikeouts versus left-handed left pitching this year, would you think? Well, not many. I think it was like three or something like that. I believe he has one. Or one. Well, it's a three three percent. That was what I said. Yeah, Thing is, Justin Smoke, this was part of what I was writing about though. He's actually always hit for contact better against lefties. Hmm. We have this perception of him sucking against lefties because his overall numbers were never really that good. But he was making way more contact and still hitting the ball hard. So there's that there was probably some element of him being unlucky. Still. To go to a, a minuscule little strikeout rate in 31 about, I know 31 plate appearances is small, but for the number of strikeouts you generally see from Justin Smoke from either side, it's just weird to me to think that he's limiting strikeouts anywhere. Uh, he's obviously changed his approach. Yeah, well, you talked about that on a few, uh, a few podcasts back. I think it might have been in, back in spring training when we were talking about Kevin Pillar. You'd, meant, you'd alluded to this interview that Justin Smoke had given in the Toronto Sun where he basically said that last year he was just trying to go hit bombs because he was pressing for uh, for playing time and everything like that, and then he was trying to cut it down this year, and he is. You know, his launch angle is down considerably with both against both righties and lefties, so it seems like he's, you know, he's not just swinging for the fences, and it's actually helping him make contact. And there's always been that argument that he makes very solid contact. I think that's what scouts have always seen. Um, you know, if he makes more of it, no, he doesn't hit maybe as many raw the home runs but he's he's gonna hit more singles and doubles and that's what he needs to be as effective as he's been so there's one guy who's changed his approach 
for which we give him a polite golf clap and possibly a high five if he wants to come on the show. Uh, the other guy is Kevin Pillar. Who, do we talk about him every week now? I think he's earned it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bona fide leadoff hitter. Yeah, uh, someone put it out on Twitter earlier today. It's like if you were building out the healthy lineup for the Blue Jays, like, you know, that's quite the pipe dream right now. But if everyone's there, like, what would you do? And I had to put Pilar in the leadoff spot. I did not expect ever to be doing that. No, but, I mean, he's got a better than average on base percentage. He doesn't strike out. Uh, he hits for a little bit of pop. Like, and he's a fast guy because you got to consider that at least. If all other things being equal, I guess you do want your fast guy leading off, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not super fast, but he's a very good base runner, and he does steal bases. I think he's got six or seven already this season. But I mean, he just—he's not cooling down, and that's kind of the craziest part. I mean, even just in the last week, because that's how we do things, he has four walks and ten hits. I would love to go and take the time to go over the entirety of Kevin Pillar's career and see that the. the shortest amount of times at which he had accumulated four walks <laughs> i'm guessing it's not ever been seven games uh yeah most excellent so good on you kevin uh you you had an epiphany at some point and it whatever you've done physically to back that up has really been paying off and i hope it continues i i don't i don't think we're in for a huge amount of regression you can see he gets a little impatient from time to time but he's really mad at himself now when he chases a pitch outside the zone. Yeah, and I think that's the big part. It's a, it, Before, he would do it, and they're just like, oh, well, meh, I need to swing more, be more aggressive. It's like, no, you don't. Stop saying that. But it seems he really is now aware of this approach, and it's helping a lot. Uh, so th- we give a second round of golf clap to uh, Kevin Pillar, who... Uh, did he also have an excellent catch this week? Would would we mention that? Um, he did <laughs> he, actually. Uh, yeah, the game did, on had, Sunday was it? Had that Air yeah. Jordan pose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But quick note: last I forgot last September he walked four times in five games. How did that happen? Uh, pitchers were throwing in the dirt or something. Mm-hmm. I only swung at one or two of them in the bat instead of all three. Never believe anything you see in September. <laughs> Or April, uh, where I've heard somewhere. Uh, what has he? Sorry, do you have his last week up? Pilar's last week. Yeah, well, that's what I said. Like he's got the, the ten hits, the four walks, including two home runs. One of them was the big walk off bomb against Edwin Diaz, which was, I mean, he crushed it. Yeah, uh, and very cool for him because his parents were there because it was the Mother's Day weekend. Um, so his parents got to come down on the field after he walked it off. Which, well, that's nice. Yeah, I don't know. That's just pretty cool all around. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I wouldn't think a major leaguer gets to do that maybe ever a lot of guys, even guys who hit a few walk-offs. That's, uh, that's awesome for him. And then uh, lastly, but not leastly, uh, probably Devin Travis has found his double stroke. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, there, there was actually, I read a comment, it was, I think it was Gibbons who said it, that Pilar, or the, sorry, that Travis... During the season, during the offseason, when he was rehabbing, he lost a lot of weight. Mm. And then he's finally putting it back on, and it's showing up with the power. I mean, he's got eight doubles just this week alone. Yeah, when we say a player's putting on weight, we probably don't mean that he did that by having an extra Whopper Jr. Uh, with his regular meal. We, we mean he's actually 
putting on the good kind of weight. Yeah, he's getting, he's getting strong again. <laughs> uh, he's up to 14 doubles. Yeah, he's he's I think he's 3 doubles away from the the May doubles record for the Blue Jays. That was again, I heard that on the radio and I, it stuck in my head because of who holds the May doubles record for the Blue Jays. <laughs> I'll give you Jalal like, Overbay? No. <laughs> Uh, it's going to seem a lot less significant when you find out who it is. <laughs> well, just tell me then. It's, it's Fred Lewis. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Breaking a prestigious record there. <laughs> Fred, I believe, had 15 doubles in the only May I think he ever spent with the Blue Jays is an entire month of May. <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis, Travis up to 12. Yeah, so, yeah, he's three short, so... Or, too short maybe maybe that was before he hit the last one at this game that he they said that oh so here's the fun thing about it though Devin travis for the month of may has an on-base percentage lower than his batting average yeah he hasn't exactly found his patience while he found his strength has he no yeah he's hitting he's got it well this is before today actually i don't have that one on this list but entering today he was 304 average with a 298 on base and he did not walk he was two for four with two doubles ah the odd little quirks of the baseball statistics traditional division (laughs) (laughs) all right uh the injury crew Keeps growing and shrinking and shuffling around, but we're pretty confident Troy Tulowitzki, having been in rehab games, is coming back. What day? Well, it was supposed to be Wednesday, but now it looks like it's going to be Thursday in Atlanta. Still, that's that's pretty definitive. I like that. Yeah, I mean, we're two days out from that, so it's like, yeah, that sounds pretty safe. Uh, and they did hold him back because there was a, a wet field or something in Dunedin. I don't know if that slowed down his progress to, to get him some reps, but uh, obviously you don't want yeah, a guy it... slipping oh, sorry. in falling. <laughs> yeah, when you got a leg <laughs> injury, you probably don't want your guy running around on a wet field. So thank you, Blue Jays, for uh, being erring on the side of caution there. Um, and what's the word on JD exactly? Possibly for this weekend in Baltimore. Um but he has not entered a rehabilitation assignment yet, has he? No, not yet. So that's still that's a lot lot more up in the air, I guess. But having a left side of your infield that doesn't look like Darwin Barney and Chris Coglin. Or Ryan Goins. Or Ryan Goins, who uh I think is still bad at the hitting thing, as I recall. <laughs> Yeah, he still sucks. Okay, um, just checking to see that he also did not have some kind of accidental renaissance at the plate that I didn't know about. No, he's still very, very bad. And oh, the worst thing that happens to Ryan Goins is when he hits a big home run. It happened to him, in, like, remember 2015 when he had that crazy month of August where he stopped swinging? Mm-hmm. And they hit that walk-off bomb against Cleveland, and then he sucked for September. Well, that happened again. He just taken the world's biggest hacks at the plate right now it's like dude <laughs> cut it down a little <laughs> oh but then who would we complain about darwin mm. barney may not be a good hitter but he stays within himself doesn't he yeah and he you know he makes decent enough contact sometimes i mean he's acceptable as a backup infielder whereas ryan going just cannot hit indeed 
Um, we didn't have this on the list, but uh, because we're going to talk about the catcher offense later in the question section. But Luke Melee has the most beautiful throws to second that I have ever watched. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was his reputation coming in, that he was a defensive stalwart. I mean, like you said, we're going to talk about the offense later. There's not much to talk about, but that's why he's this is why he's in the big leagues. This isn't a Josh Tolley one trick. I can catch a knuckleball kind of thing. He's an incredible catcher. And and the throws specifically that start at aimed at the hip of the second baseman and then tail into the base and down so that they're right where the foot is going to be is that's really, really unusual and hard to do. And, and he's, he's done it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a signature thing for him. I'm like, that is just the sweetest throw ever. It's, it's a shame the rest <laughs> of you can't can't do anything on the other side of the ball because that is fantastic. And it's so pretty to watch because there's not a lot of question for the umpire either. Right. Yeah, he makes it real simple, although they did get it wrong a couple times. Yeah, there's always the replay to maybe bail it out. But at least everything is in one frame. You know, he's not tagging the guy up on his hip because the throw was early but bounced once. And yeah, no, just beautiful stuff. So props to him for that. Uh, I guess Steve Pierce was the other person we were going to. Oh, wait, we'll get to Sanchez, who I skipped over. I apologize. But Steve Pierce did the thing he does every single year. He hurt himself. How badly did he hurt himself? <laughs> Not question. that badly, thankfully. <laughs> so I was at that game, and you know, he hits a, a a nice, you know, double RBI double. I think it was RBI double. No, no, just a double. It was a double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't score a run. And he slides into second, and he immediately comes off the field. So it's like, <laughs> oh great! It's not even like I'm going to test it out. Like, no, I'm done. Maybe he's going to go on a rehab assignment before Donaldson. He's going on one in the next couple of days. Wow. The magic of the ten day DL. Yeah, I think that's what it was. You know, he was feeling not good, so they sent him for an MRI. But I think if it was a fifteen day DL situation, they would probably really regret putting him on it. But there are no more regrets with the DL, as evidenced by uh, the revolving door that is the disabled list. Not just in for the Blue Jays either. Like every fan base I've peeped in on the Twitter is like, there are so many people on the disabled list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous. It's like people are like, oh my God, what's up with the injuries? It's like, well, yeah, injuries are up, but also people are just like, meh, 10 days. Let's just put him down there and get a new player. Get a reliever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, that might be your final thought instead of what you were going to say. The, the, the bullpen. Anyway, uh, we'll get there. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez uh, came back and immediately started bleeding all over his pants again. <laughs> but he stayed in the game this time. He got five innings, which... Uh, they were not fantastic innings, but uh, in terms of uh, you know strikeouts or whiffs or anything like that. But but still, I, good to see him not come out of the game. Yeah, so I, I actually saw a bit about it. Try that again. I saw a lot of this about like, well, why did he come out last time and not this time? The biggest difference, you know, a pitcher can pitch with bleed, you know, a little blood on his finger. I've done it. I mean, obviously, I'm not, not a major leaguer, but the issue becomes when you lose feeling or have pain in your fingertips which is what happened in the previous time with his blister and with the nail cracking he was not feeling being able to feel the the tip of the ball and if you're you know especially Aaron Sanchez with that curveball you got to be able to feel it this time it was just bleeding he he had no loss of sensitivity good to know um still funny well uh, I guess being in the pink and red uniform helped just sort of blend in (laughs) 
Uh, those were awful, by the way. That pink was not happening for me. It looked really weird. Especially when I was at the park. It just didn't look like it's, it was like, wait, what am I watching again? It, I mean, obviously, yeah, we get why they do it. Mother's Day and the weird, corrupt Susan G. Coleman, whatever. But it did. It looked strange on the field, especially the red and the pink. It looked like somebody ordered a jersey online from like one of those counterfeit shops. And the thing said, would you like it in pink for an extra $5? And someone went, oh, a whole extra pink jersey for five. Well, yeah, why not? <laughs> but only parts of it. Only part. Well, only what we had time to put in pink. You know, it's, yeah, uh, here you go. And, and it showed up and people were like, oh, I have to wear this? Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, they're going to do all these weird things all season for like Father's Day and everything else. At least Father's Day should be blue, right? Do they even do something for Father's Day? I think they're saying every there's a whole bunch of weekends to cart out these weird uniforms, so we'll see what happens. Hmm. MLB, baby. This is Rob Manfred's game. Um, on that. Okay, note. well, in fairness, they, what they do is, though, they, they sell off all these game-worn jerseys and send them towards cancer research, so it's actually a pretty good thing. If they were only pretty while they were doing it. Uh, okay. That was the week that was, and uh, now we're going to go and talk about the future with Jesse Goldberg Strassler, uh, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, and the host of Around the Nest, another podcast which uh, I would not consider competition for ours, so we're still going to promote that at the end yeah. of the interview. <laughs> we'll be right back. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars, Jesse Goldberg Strassler, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, the uh, low A affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. Jesse, glad to have you back. Thank you very much for having me. So, uh, it's it's been good fun so far this season watching the Blue Jays flounder and flail, uh, but you get a different perspective on things. Uh, you get to watch... Next year's Blue Jays. Well, I guess I'm being really optimistic. Um, but uh, I guess the two biggest names, we'll get them off the table right away, would be uh, Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr., whoever you want to touch on first. This is pretty fun, but I can actually go back because I feel like I'm getting a better idea for the timeline. It was artificially inflated by a guy like Kendall Graveman going from Lansing to Toronto in one season. Uh -huh. Now that I've had a chance to sit back, right, Rowdy Telez was a lug nut in 2015, and he's on the verge of sometime you figure he makes his major league debut later on this year if he continues to uh, improve in Buffalo, but he probably gets his major league chance next year. So we're looking at two, three, four years down the road for these guys. And yet, yeah, I love watching Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette play baseball. Yeah, hard not to. Let's take them one by one. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., is a ball. He's 18 years old. He stands up there, and uh, let me take you through some of his mannerisms. When he walks up to the home plate circle, he immediately uses the bat, scrolls Dios in, in the dirt, just <laughs> wide of home plate, so God in Spanish, and then holding the bat by the barrel, taps the catcher on the shin guard, taps the umpire's leg, basically, <laughs> show of respect, hello, gentlemen, how are we today? And then he's ready to step in, and he just goes. That bat is tapping. He's confident. He's comfortable. And 
there's an aura about him, and he realizes sometimes that he intimidates pitchers so much he does not even have to swing the bat. He just understands that pitcher is going to put him right on first base. <laughs> that sounds like Cyrano from uh, from Major League with all the little rituals. Serrano. Serrano. <laughs> it's, it's not not the, the the guy from the play. Okay. I like that you still bust me for mispronouncing names. Like it's hey, going to change. That's a classic, classic film. You got to get those right. <laughs> so obviously, since we're still on Vlad, the, the expectations for him are sky high. I mean, he's the son of a probably next year Hall of Famer, and the Jays spent a fortune to sign him. Is it possible that he's exceeding expectations somehow? That's an interesting question. And I think we've got a couple of different things at play. First, the hype train is not yet really going on Vlad. It started up a little bit. I think next year it's going to be going full bore, and there could be a little bit of trouble because he's already starting to become a bona fide celebrity. We've got throngs and throngs of autograph seekers, but at this moment there's a little bit of insulation for him, and he's a great teammate and very popular with the rest of the lug nuts and wherever he goes. Uh, There's going to be enormous hype that's going to build around him from here because he's 18 and he's hitting for average, he's hitting for power, and he's drawing walks, and he gets up there and he really does not seem flustered no matter how good the pitcher is. There was a pitcher for the Bowling Green Hot Rods earlier this year, big 6'7 top prospect who got ahead of him one and two, and then Vlad hit a baseball right off the scoreboard, hit a home run to deep right center that you just go, what is this? So he's a little bit of a, a baseball terminator as a batter where he processes and then he destroys. So he's exceeded my expectations, and I think he's exceeded their expectations in terms of it's cold in Lansing in April. They thought that he would struggle. He has not struggled. And even if there's an over here or an over there, it's not like he goes into a prolonged slump. He just goes out the next day and boom, two more base hits or three more hits, and everything is hit hard. Every single thing that he hits, there might be a bouncing ball in his first at-bat or in his fourth at-bat, but one of his at-bats, he's going to sizzle one to right field or to left field. So, yes, I, I think that there is that bit of he is exceeding expectations, and yet I do have that worry that once that hype train really starts to get going, that we could all be in for a lot of trouble. So after lauding him for his ability with the bat, I do have to ask the question because we don't get to see him. Can he play defense? It's interesting because he's quick, but he is not fast. So, for example, if there's a baseball bounced in front of him, oh, does he love to attack it and throw on the run? And he loves that nifty backhand. His favorite play that we've seen this year is him going down the line to his right, grabbing a tough bouncer, and then from foul ground showing off an arm, which I heard was first average. And it is no longer an average arm. It's an above-average arm. But compare him to, let's say, a good defensive third baseman, and he does not quite have the same sort of range. And again, everything that I've seen of him shows that he's, I don't know, he's a prodigy. So I have no idea if a couple of weeks from now or a month from now, something's going to suddenly be different with him. But no, his best position right now is the right-hand batter's box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That's that's plenty good enough for us. But uh, just seems like a nice little easy way to segue there. He's not having the best offensive season among the teenagers on that team. 
no, Bo Bichette has been pretty darn good. And every time I think, all right, maybe Bo has cooled off. No, he goes out again yesterday and goes three for five. And he just has this way about him. Think about, I'm trying to figure this out. Think about a tennis player serving up a lob because the opponent is at the net. That's Bo Bichette serving doubles to right field where he just <laughs> sees where the right fielder is playing and boom, here's a lob that you're not going to reach. And it's another double for me. He does so with great ease. He also has a great way of a pitcher will fire him fastballs or even breaking stuff on the outer half. And Bo will look silly for the first pitch, maybe the second pitch. And then on 0-2-1-2, he's figured it out and he squares it up and it's an inside out uh, line drive and a right field for a base hit. And that was yesterday against the top closer likely in the league and one of the best uh, relievers that the Kane County Cougars have to offer. It's a ninth inning single against a guy who struck out Bo looking on that same pitch the previous night. And oh, by the way, he can turn on it. So he's collecting hits in bunches. And just like Vladdy, he's hitting for power. He's hitting for extra base power. He's drawing walks. And he's only 19. It is very easy for me to start taking this for granted. And if the two of those guys come up and we see a game where they go one for four, and that one hit was a single, I say, ah, they didn't have a good game. And then the next day, two for four, that's more like it. They're doing unheard of things, especially for their age, in what is considered a tough hitting league. You compare the Lansing Lugnuts uh, batting averages to the rest of the MWL. Their team's batting 200, 210, 220, 230. And there's Vlad batting, what, 340? And Bo Bichette batting 367. It's not supposed to be this easy. Yeah, and that's actually something I just wanted to touch on. When was the last time... There are a couple of other guys we're going to get to, but specifically with the teenagers, where you saw guys come up their first season in full, you know, full season pro ball and just torch the league like this. It doesn't happen. It it just does not happen in the Midwest League. Gleber Torres was with the South Bend Cubs at age 18, and he was pretty good. And you worried maybe he was a little bit too oppo heavy. Maybe you'd want him to pull the ball a little bit more. But he was 18 and holding his own. And that lets you know maybe Gleber Torres is a pretty good prospect. Aside from that, you don't see 18-year-olds do this in the Midwest League, nor 19-year-olds. Generally, it's 21, 22-year-olds who are doing this. Oh, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to break the spell. I keep. I, I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, just you. You just segued nicely for us there. One of those twenty-one-year-olds. Who is Bradley Jones? Bradley Jones is bearded. Bradley Jones comes out of Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, very proudly so. His, uh, his dad is the president of the local Little League there. He's got two younger brothers that he misses and he loves to be around come the offseason. Came out of the College of Charleston where he played first base and left field. And College of Charleston previously produced Carl Wise, who was a fourth rounder, and Gunnar Height, who was drafted by the Blue Jays, I think, in the 13th round the previous year, two years ago. And Gunnar Hyde is now up in New Hampshire. So we heard that Bradley Jones got selected in the 18th round. And we're thinking, I guess the Blue Jays are really heavily scouting the College of Charleston, and we don't think too much. And then I start to see those stats pile up over the course of last year, where he really got hot. And by the end of the season, he was outdoing everything that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was doing, hitting the ball farther, hitting the ball harder, hitting many more extra base hits, and not just home runs or base hits. He was just crushing Appy League pitching. 
So he comes in this year. And first, last year when Vladdy Jr. joined us, I'd heard that he and Bradley Jones were friends, even though I'd heard that Vladdy still does not speak too much English. So I asked Vladimir Guerrero Jr. about him, and Vladdy was just effusive. And earlier this year, we had a member of the media come in and ask Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that great question. Take yourself out. Who is the best player on this Lugnuts team? And Vladimir looked the guy right in the eye and said, Bradley Jones. So I think that Vladdy is Bradley's actually biggest fan. It's the Vlad and Brad show. Bradley Jones has played first base, second base, third base for us. Guerrero needs a day at DH. Jones plays third. We've been moving Yeltsin, Godinho around, and Bo Bichette. So Bo's at short, Godinho's at second. Godinho's at short, Bo's at second. One of those guys gets the day off. Bradley Jones plays second base. And I think he does so capably. I've seen rather quick feet, a quick wrist for the throwing hand. He gets rid of the ball in a hurry. He's making plays far to his right and far to his left. Um, And oh, by the way, at the plate, he stands back and rather upright stance. He's 6'1". He rests the bat on his shoulder as he waits. And then when the pitch comes in, he just explodes. He tormented the Dayton Dragons, who are the best team right now in the Midwest League. In the game one of their series in Dayton, in the seventh inning, he tied the game up with a three-run homer in the seventh. And then the next inning, he suddenly blew it wide open with another three-run homer in the eighth. And that's against the best bullpen in the Midwest League at the time. So two days later, Bradley Jones comes up in the eighth inning, and again against one of the other great Dayton Dragons relievers, Cincinnati Reds affiliate, He again, he gets a fastball up and we're all looking at it going, the count is three and one. It's a fastball pitcher. He's going to get a fastball and this guy's missing up and that's bad. And he got a fastball up and just destroyed it. So later on in that game, it's extra innings now. And before Bradley Jones could even walk out of the on-deck circle, the Dayton Dragons manager was already motioning, give him first base, no pitches, intentionally walk this guy. We don't want to see him again. He's a pleasure. He's a born hitter and a born baseball player, and you just feel it all the time. Utterly comfortable, utterly laid back and relaxed, and just hilarious. And right now, he's he's doing the Midwest League pitching, what he did to Appalachian League pitching. Doesn't get pull happy, uses the entire field, and he hits the other way with great power. And you put Bo batting third, Vlad fourth, and Bradley fifth. Or Bo second, Vlad third, Bradley fourth. He fits right in, and he loves batting with those guys on base ahead of him. So is it just really good scouting? How does a guy with what sounds like incredible, I mean, maybe not like all super tools, but just a bunch of good ones, how does that guy fall to the 18th round? This goes on with every single major league team. You can go through the draft, and what you'll see is maybe they didn't hit on their fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Maybe they totally missed from the 10th to the 14th. They get those guys in. They can't do it. But every single team suddenly hits on a mid-range guy where they get the guy in, and suddenly it's a Danny Jansen. I think Danny was a 15th rounder. Or whomever it might be, Kevin Pillar was taken in, what, the 20th rounder, 21st rounder thereabouts. And you say, whoever that scout is, he found us something here. The Blue Jays got a scouting report turned in on Bradley Jones, 18th round rolled around. They turned him in and he came into camp and they realized we've got something. You just hope that with all your scouts coming in the country, one of those scouts suddenly turns in a guy who's better than the average org guy and they got it with Bradley. Um, you, 
you actually mentioned there in that Kevin Pillar, which is leads to what I wanted to follow with. Uh, Kevin Pillar is pretty much the only homegrown player who springs to mind when I think about position players at the major league level right now. And throughout that whole Anthopolis era, there were a lot of pitchers. Some traded away as assets, and notably right now, obviously Stroman, Sanchez, kind of homegrown guys who you you know knew were coming up. Since the change has gone on, now we got a couple of years in, um, We all of a sudden we're seeing all these position players and we're not hearing as much about the pitchers. Do you think that's an intentional philosophy or, or do you see something just luck? That is a good question. Let's attack this several different ways. Uh, the Blue Jays did. I, I think back to the J.P. Ricciardi draft where he drafted, what, Justin Jackson, Kevin Ahrens, uh, John Talisano. Kenny Wilson, Marcus Brisker, and guys just did not pan out. Um, Let's see. There was Chris Hawkins, who was drafted in the third round and didn't pan out. They're still waiting on Mitch Nay, still waiting for Mitch Nay to get healthy under Alex Anthopoulos. But Mitch so far, uh, it has not gone well. Matt Dean is in A advanced Dunedin, still has tremendous power, but it's not going. Uh, In general, I think they drafted pitcher heavy. But that's not to say that they didn't draft in the second round, the third round, the fourth round, these position players. Carl Wise was a fourth rounder. Um, I I think maybe with all the attention paid to pitchers and even international signees. So there's Richard Urenu who's up in double A. But there was a whole list of shortstops, right? There was Franklin Barreto who was out of him. I believe it went Dawel Lugo, Franklin Barreto, Richard Urania, and Yeltsin Godinho. Every single year they had an international signee as a shortstop. And now we have Godinho and Urania is in double A and uh, Dawel Lugo's with the Arizona Diamondbacks and Franklin Barreto's with the Oakland Athletics. Um, and DJ Davis was a first round draft pick, but in that same draft they got Anthony Alford. So maybe things balanced out there. I wonder if maybe the pitchers are being overlooked, and we'll see how things go for TJ Zoic. And things currently went roughly for John Harris, so we'll see how Harris turns out over the course of this year. Sean Reed Foley, to my mind, is still a big-time prospect, and Connor Green is putting together better and better material. But the better position players certainly look to be the better prospects. Uh, Rowdy Telez is the closest guy that they've got. There's no AAA pitching prospect. It wasn't so long ago that at the double-A level, New Hampshire featured the rotation with Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez. Both of those guys landed in the major leagues. I wonder if it just goes in cycles. I wonder if, let's say, in this year's draft, we see the Blue Jays once again drafting heavily pitching. Uh, But last year, there was the pitcher taken in the first round, T.J. Zoic. And then second rounder, you had a couple of hitters. You had J.B. Woodman, Bo Bichette. Bo is looking great, and Woodman still working on that two-strike approach. But I know a lot of scouts who think the world of him. Let's see, third round for the Blue Jays was Zach Jackson. So it's another pitcher in the Lugnuts bullpen. Jackson's been putting up zeros. And then fourth rounder, there's Joshua Palacios, fifth rounder, Kevin Biggio. So it's it's a question that I'm not sure the answer to. That's why you hear me talking out loud, just looking about who's the position players and who's the pitchers out there. I think that the Jays really do have some good pitching prospects. Jordan Romano keeps on excelling. And Ryan Barucki, they're being careful with in the early part of the season. I think that Barucki's going to pitch in the major leagues. He's smart. He throws 95-96, and his changeup is just killer. 
But it's good that this attention is being paid, especially because I do think that Anthony Alford's elite, and I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s elite, and Bo Bichette's doing nothing to dissuade the opinion that he's elite either. That All right. Huge answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm talking so much. No, 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 it's great. You're giving us information without us having to ask the questions. We were going to ask about some of those pictures you rattle off, so <laughs> so we'll take it. Um, so you've obviously gone through a whole bunch of the guys, but now we're just going to take this to a little more of the the near future. You've obviously seen dozens and dozens of players roll through Lansing. Of the guys that you've seen that are now closer to the cusp of the big leagues, who would you say – you know, specifically in Buffalo, because this team keeps having issues and injuries and, and whatnot, who would you say is the closest to being able to actually help the Major League Club? I want to begin with Rowdy Telez because I think that he's interesting. Everywhere Rowdy goes, he struggles initially, and then he figures it out. His work ethic and his hitting approach really dynamite. Um, I just think that let's say he goes up to Toronto and he struggles – I don't think he's the sort of guy you give up on. I think you've got to stick with him because I think he can be special. And then after Rowdy, I've been just shocked at the success being displayed by guys who in Lansing, I was hearing scouts tell me these aren't players or these guys have flaws. Ian Parmley was on the Lansing Lugnuts DL quite a few times when he was in single A. And then he was promoted up to A advanced without really distinguishing himself. And now look at him. He's an exceptional defensive outfielder. At the plate, he parries the ball all over the place. He goes up there with a plan. He gives you speed. What a perfect fourth outfielder with the speed, with the plate discipline, with the defense. Uh, Christian Lopes in Lansing, I had pointed out to me, here are the pitches that he's having troubles with. I don't know if this is going to come through for him. Christian Lopes is doing just fine with Buffalo. What a great guy to have. Uh, Christian Lopes, by the way, back when he was 13 years old, was a teammate with Bryce Harper, just to let you know his generation. And then Jason Leblebegian played four uh, different seasons with the Lansing Lugnuts, same season that he was drafted in 2012, and the, ne the next three years. And credit him. He took control of his own career. He suddenly tapped into power that we had not seen before. And he turned himself into much more of what he was was a utility guy. Put him at short, at second, at first, at third base. Played fine all of those positions. And now he's a hitter. So I think that any guy who can give you versatility on defense and at the plate add some production, why can't those guys uh, contribute at the major league level? Indeed. And and for those who are wondering, Leblebegian, I just wanted to try it, um, is uh, has an OPS of over 1,000 at Buffalo, 1.016. With Leblebegian, let's compare him to Vlad and Bo. I think for all of these players, at the level for the very first time, there isn't a book on them yet. And so you need to see them get around the league for a second time, a third time. You need to see if the league adjusts. What happens, especially when the weather turns hot? Will they figure out a way to pitch to them? And if they do, all right, now you look for the hitter to adjust. But if the league can never figure out a scattering report, if the league is trying soft stuff low and away and the hard stuff up and in, and it does not matter, that's when you say, okay, maybe we need to give this guy a bigger challenge. Indeed. All right. Oh. Well, I thought we were just going to have a little fun with a certain, with, a, with Jason Lebovigian's name there. Oh, uh, the, I was going to uh, 
I was going to spare him in the moment, but um, yeah, Leblebigian. No, I can take it. <laughs> you can take it. I was going to spare you, but okay. Uh, so this is this is a blast from the past, um, Mister Mister Goldberg Strassler, calling a game with uh, the aforementioned player in it. Let's see if he gives him a fastball now. Let's it fly. Bosnick swings and lines one right at the second baseman. The yeah, absolutely. Jason picks it up and throws to first, and there's out number two. I told you, when you got to hurry it, you can't get it out in a hurry. But there's two gone in this bottom of the ninth inning. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, perfect. I would mess up Jason Leblebegian's surname once every single game. I mean, once a game, and I never knew when it was going to be. It might be while giving the starting lineups at the start of the night. It might be his third at bat of the game, I'd say. And that brings up the next batter, and then I was in trouble. And in that game, I was perfect the entire way through. And then suddenly, as the Lugnuts were closing out a tight win, here comes the smash. And I... I I sprained my tongue. <laughs> I, all I'm imagining is Buck Martinez, what, if he makes yep. the big club, trying to get around on that name ever. <laughs> we had PA announcers throughout the Midwest League, and they would pause. So, for example, they would say, next up for the lug nuts, the shortstop, Jason. <sighs> <laughs> oh well good to end on a little levity thank you once again for for coming by and uh and giving us the update on on something positive and bright in the blue jays future uh always love your descriptions of the players well it's my pleasure justin myasay through a nine and incomplete game there are good things going on down here but i guess i go back to my math two three four years there's good stuff coming but oh that hype train worries me <laughs> always always so they can find you on twitter at j goldstrass that's right j g o l d s t r a s s uh give jesse a follow always good fun to, to hear about what's going on down in lansing and uh, i'm sure we'll talk to you again soon sir Hey, remember, at Around Nest 2, Around the Nest every Friday. Yes. We've got new podcasts coming up. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem at all. Take care. Okay, well, the future is bright. That we know. <laughs> yeah, certainly a lot, lot of guys there. I, I'm still looking forward to Jason Love, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> He'll get his shot, Josh. He will. And then Buck Martinez will get his shot. And that's how it'll <laughs> go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so we uh, got to keep this thing moving. And uh, usually this is where I try and play the questions drop. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Well, that's excellent. All right. We have questions from our devoted and faithful listeners. Mm -hmm. And what one shall we launch with? Uh, the one from Colleen? Yeah, go... you, especially because yeah. you alluded to it earlier. Yes. Uh, why do you think the Jays have signed Salt and Lamakia? Is that because there are no bad, hashtag no bad minor deals? Um, well, yes. True. Absolutely true. Uh, 
The other thing is, if you include Salt of Lamakia, this was the statistic that got thrown around, and it's... I don't know if it counts as a statistic. It's certainly a number. Uh, if, you, if you count Salt of Lamakia and all of the other catchers not named Martin, you can total up to three hits and... Four now. Only oh. got a second one. He's the first backup catcher to get to two hits. Wow. Uh... So four hits and seven times on base, even though backup catchers have been exclusively playing since, what, April 29th? Yep. It's May 16th, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> well, basically, but the actual the reason for Salto Lamacchia specifically, Mike Ullman and Luke Maley are in the big leagues. They need catchers in the minors. I was going to say, somebody has to catch those games uh, in AAA, and obviously nobody came up to Salty with a big check after his yeah. bold show. And the other thing, too, so, like, once Russell Martin comes back, I think they're probably going to keep Maley around just because of the defense we talked about earlier. But if they try to send Ullman down, he could get claimed on waivers. And they still need someone who can catch in Buffalo. So... I think that's the biggest reason, just to to maintain the major league ready capture depth. And you put that in the biggest quotes ever. Um, major league ready. Yeah. All right. Let's get to, to the most recent game, which people always have on their mind. Uh, do you have any defense for that decision to bunt and why Gibbons didn't use Osuna to start the night? That's from Alex Hume. And then a follow up from our friend Quinn. Please rant about why bunting is stupid. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll I'll go for the specific, and you can rant about bunting if you like. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, so the Travis one was Morel. Uh, I think it was so Siciliani and Smoke had reached base. Siciliani pinch running for Morales, and Smoke walked his third walk of the game. And Travis comes up against Rodas Vizcaino, and was asked to bunt. He fouled off the first one, and then he pulled back on another one, and eventually struck out. It's a crazy idea. I, 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 Travis is on fire right now. I mean, six doubles in his last three games. And you're bunting to get to Darwin Barney and Ezekiel Carrera. <laughs> Sorry. I just Would you like me to do, to do the general bunting rant now? <laughs> sure. Then I can give it back to the pitching. It's simple. Baseball doesn't have a clock because it has outs. If you are behind, you don't want to run, even when you're ahead. But especially when you're behind, even at home, you don't want to run the clock out unnecessarily. Bunting is like standing there watching the time tick down intentionally because even if you move the runners along, you've given away an out. So now you've given yourself less time to accomplish the thing that you wanted to accomplish in all of the possible time that you had left. So... Except when you're tied and trying to push a run over, looking for just one because one will win the game, bunting is a dumb move, especially when you're doing exactly what Josh just said, which is bunting to get to a worse hitter. There you go. And There's especially you. when you're doing it with a guy like Rodas Vizcaino pitching, who is a strikeout pitcher. Yeah. There's so many things wrong with that, but that's just yeah. your... Don't move this, the out clock. Yeah, pretty much. And so this, the other part of the question from Alex was uh, about – so the, the Jays were down one going into the ninth, and they started with Joe Smith, who gave up a couple singles, 
and got a double play, and then there's and then there's intentional walk, and then they went to Osuna after that. The question basically was like, why not start the inning with Osuna? And you know, I don't have a huge problem with the way this one went. I, I mean, Joe Smith has been excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, though the, the counter to that is like, if just go with your best guy. Like if you, if Osuna is going to pitch anyway. Before the runs have scored, which is what happened, he ended up giving up all three runs, even though two of them were charged to Smith. Then he should start the inning. If he, if you know, otherwise, you're just burning both guys unnecessarily. The, the the only question I guess there is: Do you have information on certain guys not hitting uh, uh, Joe Smith's delivery particularly well? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously don't. I'm sure the Jays probably do. It was interesting, like when Gibby in his post-game comments said he went to Osuna because he felt that his slider was a good matchup for Matt Kemp, who's the one who ended up getting the two-run hit. Right. And, you know, I'm okay with that kind of decision-making. I just, Joe Smith has a good slider too, and it just it just seemed overly reactionary. But I, but that's, I think, far less of a problem than the bunt. Okay. Uh, next question from Brian. At big underscore B underscore SR, who do we need back more, Donaldson or Tulo? Did you go first on this one? Yeah, sure, Donaldson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need the MVP. You can you can fill a hole at shortstop somehow, but uh, yeah, your MVP. I'll take him first. Yeah, he just does so much for the top of that lineup. I mean, especially with the way Pilar's getting on base, if you got Donaldson coming up behind him, that's going to make a huge difference instead of Ezekiel Carrera or the current incarnation of Jose Bautista. We didn't even talk about him this week. How about that? The Jays went five and two, and we didn't need to mention Jose Bautista, even though he had a, home, a couple home runs in that. Three of them. <laughs> we didn't need to mention him, though, which tells you about where he is on this team at the moment. Uh, we're moving quick tonight because, yeah, because that was an awesome interview, and... Uh, we're trying to not keep you all day for your podcast. So Alex Hume has another one. I'm not surprised Estrada did not get another inning. Long innings like the first seem to be more taxing. Thoughts, Joshua Housem, the guy who's actually had some long innings in his uh, his career, so to speak. Yeah, he's right. Uh, that He threw 34 pitches in the first inning, and a lot of them were high stress with runners on base. It does take a lot out of you. And Mike's son would back this up with, you know, it's all this talk about rest, right? Well, he's not getting any rest throughout those 34 straight pitches. So it has a, an effect throughout the rest of the game. Even though over the next two innings he threw 15 total pitches, it still hurts. And so coming out when he did after six was probably the right decision, even though Danny Barnes ended up giving a home run in the seventh. That made sense to me, too. Because it's, yeah, guy gets really revved up and kind of gassed out if he has a bad first couple of first inning or second inning. And then at that, it's hard to catch up from that later unless you're Roy Halladay. He doesn't have those 35 pitch innings, though. Yeah, that didn't happen very often either. Um, Rob Gray at, at Shaky Weights. I know the Raptors not asking us questions anymore. Oh, well. Um, yeah, their season's done. <laughs> how does the catch probability analysis of Pilar's catch change your view or ranking of it? So there was a stat cast from Mike Petriello, who we, I guess we timed that interview with him like one week wrong because he wrote about um, the whole uh, idea that although it was fun and it was athletic, um, Pilar probably could have done a better job getting to that ball because other similarly hit balls have not resulted in catches that look that spectacular. So what's your take on that, Josh? 
it doesn't change my viewer ranking of it. Um, yeah, it's less, I suppose, it's less impressive in the sense of it should have been an easier catch. But the, but once he got to the situation where he was getting to the ball, the degree of difficulty was so high. And he made it. And it looked, you know, and, and you know what? Screw it. It was exciting and fun and it looked good. And I think that's part of it as a fan, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I don't think it's diminished to me because um, he he made a probably an error at some point early on in the play. And then he recovered from it and still made the catch. There are lots and lots of times where that first step error or that playing too shallow error or whatever it is um, results in no catch at all. So that that Pilar managed to, to do that kind of thing, um, and 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 in that moment do something that was excruciatingly difficult. The actual leap and time it and everything was still difficult. That's and he still yeah. sacrificed himself. I I know we're we're trying to move quickly, but just you know if you think about it, like a couple like one of the most memorable plays people have from the couple last public couple of years was that you want to throw from like the corner straight to the plate in the air. Do you remember that? Yep. That was in he was playing for Oakland at the time, right? Correct. Yep. That only happened because he booted the ball and the people kept running. <laughs> and same with Andrelton Simmons, that play where he threw the guy out from seated on his butt is because he fell down in the middle of a ground fielding a ground ball. So it can still be really impressive while understanding that it could have been easier. Yeah. A a great play is not the perfect play. A mm -hmm. great play is a play that gets you an out in an in a spectacular way. Though yeah. I would agree you don't want that every single time. No. <laughs> we have our limit of adventure. Uh, and then our last question uh, is also Kevin Pilar related. Um, starts with, from it's from Luke at Split Editors. It says, Gideon, don't read this. Don't worry, Gideon doesn't read these. Um, my question is this. Is Kevin Pilar 2.0 for real or are we going to see major regression? What do you think? Well, we sort of addressed this in the first part of the show. I mean, real enough, right? I mean, it's he's doing all spring training, doing it all the season, and, and we can actually identify a change in the approach. Which is key. Always key. Um, yeah. yeah, it can't just be, oh, well, he suddenly got better because... the No, he talked about getting better. He talked not about walking. He talked about what he was specifically trying to do, and then he appears to be doing it. So I think, yes, we might see some regression because the league will realize that they have to pitch yeah, him adjust. differently. But I think um, the approach is pretty solid so far. So you, you're going to see him, if he sticks with that approach and doesn't get out of it, out of the zone, um, he can he can find pitches he can hit. And those, yeah. those were all of the questions that I had. That's it. All right. Which means we get to hand out everybody's favorite duo. Oh, my God. Did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a duo over there? Are you talking about a door? We believe in second chances. And this is going to go, I don't know who this do-over is for. This is like, <laughs> we would like to hand out this do-over because I feel bad for this person. This person is a player on the MLB.com Beat the Streak contest. So, uh, briefly, Joe DiMaggio had a hitting streak of how many games, Josh? Oh, come on. You could do this one. 56. Yes. So... <laughs> In order to meet to beat that streak, um, you pick a player every night, and 
you can, if that player gets a hit, you extend the streak. You can change your player every night. So you don't need Joe DiMaggio playing in the league. If you get, if you beat the 56 game streak, you get $5.6 million. There is a rule that I read, and my understanding is this is what this person was doing, is you can pick two players on a night. If both players get a hit on that night, you get to advance the streak by two games in one night. If neither, yes. if one of those players fails, though, you, your streak is broken. So in theory, you could do it in just over a month. This person picked Kevin Pillar... And Ezekiel Carrera. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yes, his name is Robert Mosley. In fact, he got his real name. Oh, there he is. Robert. Ooh. Yeah. He I, mean, a... I guess I can understand the thinking. It's like, well, they're playing the crappy this year, Bartolo Colon. They're mm -hmm. both hitting really well. They're contact type guys. Yeah. They're uh, usually uh, near the no. top of the lineup. Was that the other part of the theory? Well, he was hoping Carrera yeah, they're was They're already one, too. Right. So you get as many at bats as possible. Uh, however, it is Ezekiel Carrera, <laughs> who's, who's batted at, batting average on balls in play this year has been around 400 up to this point, uh, which is not Carrera's actual responsibility. So at 51 games, his streak was broken and he gets to start all over again at zero. I feel so bad for him. I would have to guess he's got more than one account working on the beat the streak thing, but that was obviously, uh, it made enough publicity that that was by far the highest streak so far this season. Uh, it's the highest streak anyone ever has ever gotten. Okay. Like the closest anyone got before this was 49. Man. I mean, I hope Ezekiel doesn't feel bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. That... Wraps this and that up. So, yeah, we would like to give him another chance to go on, but we don't have that power. <laughs> I don't control the beat the streak thing, but um, there are mulligan rules, but they don't include picking Ezekiel Carrera in the rules. I think Do that you... violates them, actually. Possibly. Do you have a final thought? Yeah, so it's, you know, I hate to go with a negative final thought given the mostly successful week. I mean, they were five and two, but I mean, something is, this is something that has to be fixed. They're, I, where did these outfielders learn to throw? I can't count the number of times they've either thrown to the wrong base or just completely airmailed cutoff men and had allowed extra bases, which have caused extra runs. It's happened at least three times in the last two games, and it happened a couple times in the Seattle series too. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know it just it keeps happening, and I think that someone, or I guess it's Tori Lavolo. No, sorry, he's not here anymore. Wow, I think that uh, could be the problem because that was <laughs> he's managing the Diamondbacks. <laughs> 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 wow Tony's not showing up for practice man what? <laughs> we yeah, haven't been able to practice anything <laughs> I don't know which one actually works with the with the outfielders but they, they have to fix it because it has cost them runs and it didn't end up actually costing them any games because they got blown out in both games by Atlanta but it could have well yeah everything changes when you start forcing your pitchers to throw more pitches in an inning and, and give up a couple more runs right everything changes Those there could have been outs where there were not outs so yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, my final thought is uh, something from Terry Francona, who who may challenge um, John Gibbons for the uh, the best manager in baseball for various reasons, tactically and um, personality wise. So Terry used to have Rays manager Kevin Cash as his bullpen coach. 
So he mentioned that he had something small for Kevin coming to Cleveland as the manager of the Rays. And the something small was on the progressive field jumbotron screen, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and it was the following fact. How bad mm. is Kevin Cash at the plate? Cash's career batting stats, 183, 248, 278. In the history of Major League Baseball, among all non-pitchers with at least 650 plate appearances, Kevin Cash is the fifth worst OPS plus of all time. <laughs> so, <laughs> great, just, great rib. Trolling him. <laughs> it's like, uh, deal with that, buddy. Uh, you got to read. Everybody gets to know now. Uh, also, shout out to using a couple of, uh, well, at least one advanced stat uh, and some arbitrary endpoints. That was all great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no arbitrary endpoints. It's just arbitrary sample size. Right, six hundred fifty yeah. plate appearances for whatever hey. reason. I guess it's about a season, maybe. No, well, no, that's just probably how many Kevin Cash got. <laughs> and he did use a picture of Kevin in a Boston uniform that looks like he's about to fall down coming out of the batter's box. Um, yeah, former catcher of the future, Kevin Cash. <laughs> Another one of those guys. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I will briefly, as usual, mention that we are on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash turfpod. Please, if you have fun, uh, if you consider even a dollar a month donation, we'd appreciate it. That's basically 25 cents a podcast. Did you learn something? Did we amuse you? Maybe it's worth 25 cents a podcast. Uh, Drop by, see what else you can get uh, as a bonus if you do contribute to the pod. I... William, your host, Craig uh, Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and our guest this week was Jesse Goldberg Strassler at J Goldstrass. A great follow, you should do that. And we, no, see, this was Artificial Turf Wars episode <laughs> number fifty-seven, and we will see you next week. Uh-huh.